and being up in McKinney, this is According to Callus. December the 14th, episode 319. It is a Wednesday, which means we're going to pick up with yet another book review. I decided to truncate this and make it one episode long. Uh, Mr. Dreyer uh, likes to cover a lot of the same material repeatedly in his book, much like talk radio hosts like to repeat things multiple times. It is a good way to make sure that you understand the subject matter or the point. And for that reason, I'm fairly certain that I can cover all the salient points that I had uh, picked up out of this book. So the first thing I'm going to do is a I'm going to go through the chapter titles. Uh, He starts with his Awakening, The uh, Great Flood, The Roots of the Crisis, Rule for Living, A New Kind of Christian Politics, A Church for All Seasons, The Idea of a Christian Village, Education is a Christian Formation, Preparing for Hard Labor, Eros and the New Christian Counterculture, Man in the Machine, and His Conclusion, The Benedict Decision. So I had went through this, I read it on Kindle, Um, so I'm going to try and jump in here. I highlighted a number of things that I felt were worthy of uh, being uh, gone over. So I'm going to jump to the uh, key takeaway, not the key takeaways, the key points that I wanted to share. So on page uh, 21, I bookmarked it. Let me jump there and find out. Okay, so he's talking about the roots of the crisis, right? And he talks about, uh, well, I'm just going to quick read this. On a warm evening in late autumn, a recently retired woman sits on the front porch of her neighbor's house, talking about the ways of the world. It is two weeks before the Trump-Clinton election. So this takes us back to 2016, and everything seems to be going to pieces. The neighbors agree. How did our country get to this place, they wonder. Both women are working class by culture, but thanks to economic and cultural changes in the mid-20th century, they are now entering their golden years as members of the modest middle class. America has been good to them in their families. Yet neither woman is confident for the future for their grandchildren. One tells the other in the past year she's gone to... Six baby showers for young women in her family and social circles, and none of those expected mothers had had husbands. Some had more than one child out of wedlock. The gray-haired women know what poverty and insecurity are like. They can't believe that these young women would bring children into the world without fathers in the home. Given how much more likely the children in those situations are to be poor, and where are the fathers anyway? What is wrong with young men these days? Now, these women are pro-life Christian conservatives who would have never countenanced abortion. They would have rather see babies born than exterminated in the womb, no matter what the cost. Still, the normalization of having children outside of marriage is hard for both of them to take. In the 1940s, when they were born, out-of-wedlock birth rate among whites was 2%. It is now 30%. Overall, the birth rate to unwed mothers is at 41%. It's like the whole world is coming apart, sighed one of those women. And I'm glad we're not going to be around to see it. So, basically, (laughs) I'm going to call that as everything boils down to the fact that fathers have become irrelevant. That men are unnecessary. 
Now, whether you want to blame that on feminism, socialism, communism, or whatever your favorite ism is, it is true that in today's day and age, men are not respected, told we're not required, and quite frankly, disdained any which way it is possible. Indeed, I've often remarked humorously that I am the epitome of all that is evil in the world in the eyes of the progressives. I am a white, straight, male Christian. Oh, let's not forget cisgendered as well. So, there are all these things that are created to group people or to push them into an identity or determine what group they belong to so that you can cater to their needs. But it seems to be lost on everybody that the way Christians have been largely taught for two millennia is that we're all one in the same in the body of Christ. Everybody has a different role or option of how they want to live um, as far as productively, but we're all expected to be fruitful, multiply, have families, take care of families, look after your families first and foremost. Obviously, there's something to be said for your kin and your community and culture that you belong to, but you're not supposed to be exclusive and push out other people that swear allegiance to the same faith. We haven't done a good job of doing that. And as a result, the progressives, the isms, have successfully undermined and taken away many of the great accomplishments that we've had in our country or Western civilization, if you prefer. I'm not excited about any of that, but that is where we are today. So let me pivot. I have three specific highlights that I uh, went to the trouble of actually doing in the Kindle. So on page 92, every act that contradicts the official ideology is a denial of the system. What if the the green grocer stops putting the sign up in his window? What if he refuses to go along to get along? His His revolt is an attempt to live within the truth. Now, and it's going to cost him plenty. He will lose his job, his position in society. His kids may not be allowed to go to the college they want to, or any college at all. People will bully him or ostracize him, but... By bearing witness to the truth, he has accomplished something potentially powerful. He has said that the emperor is naked, and because the emperor is in fact naked, something extremely dangerous has happened. By his action, the greengrocer has addressed the world. He has enabled everyone to peer behind the curtain, and he has shown everyone that it is possible to live within the truth. Because they are public and the greengrocer's deeds are inescapably political, he bears witness to the truth of his convictions by being willing to suffer for them. He becomes a threat to the system, but he has preserved his humanity. And that, says Havel, is far more important accomplishment than whether or not the party or politician holds power. So the takeaway I have on that is, Mr. Dreyer will bring that up again later. Uh, I believe his whole basis of his book, Live Not By Lies, is premised off of one of that key passage there. The idea being that just be willing to stand against everything else and proclaim the truth is a rebellious and revolutionary act. Now you've heard variations of this from Ron Paul and even Captain America. 
But you have to be willing to also pay the consequences. It's not easy to speak truth. It's not easy to stand against the culture and say, well, that's wrong or that's sinful behavior and hold the line. They make it a challenge for you, but that's one of the things he brings up in the book. Well, what are our options? What happens when we no longer have the ability to effectively hold the line? What happens when we are not a functional majority? So I'm going to jump forward. Um, I think this is page 98. Here's how to get started with the anti-political politics of the Benedict option. Secede culturally from the mainstream. If you're listening to me, you've probably in part already done this, but I will continue with where he left off. Turn off the television, put smartphones away, read books, play games, make music, feast with your neighbors. It is not enough to avoid what is bad. You must embrace what is good. Start a church or a group within your church. Open a classical Christian school or join and strengthen one that exists. Plant a garden, participate in a local farmer's market, teach kids how to play music, start a band, join the volunteer fire department. Now, what's interesting to me here is I've been saying much the same thing without even having read his book. Now, I'm not saying that these are original ideas to him or myself. I'm just saying this is like obvious to the casual observer that you can't necessarily take everything on head on. You have to be creative. You have to find other ways to do this. Uh, The cultural Marxists have been doing this very successfully for decades. And quite frankly, we didn't pay attention to them, and it was in our own peril. If you may recall, I talked about some of the things that they have successfully done that was all laid out by Saul Alinsky in his book, Rules for Radicals, and that was written in the mid-60s. And those, again, were not even necessarily unique ideas to him. He was just bold enough to put it down on paper. The next highlighted section I have here is a big part of, oh, I'm sorry, a big part of falling away today is one our children don't know the history of Christianity or grasp why it matters. One Eastern Orthodox friend, raised an evangelical, said she had no idea what the early church taught or even who the fathers of the church were until she became Orthodox. A tradition that emphasizes their writings and teachings. For this friend, the Christian faith amounted to the Bible as interpreted by the most popular evangelical pastors of the day. It is not evangelicalism that rejects the foundational theological writings of early Christianity, she explained. It's just that they never mention it. Nor did the church of her youth dig deeply into the Reformation tradition from which it sprang. In her church and religious school, she was fed nothing but the thin gruel of contemporary Christianity. With its shallow theology, its upbeat upbeat sloganeering, as writer Walter Percy cracked about the vapid contemporary Christian novelists, they've sold their birthright for a pot of message. He then mentions the fact this is not unique to Protestantism, that the Catholics have been doing much the same thing. So, that being said, that is the end of my highlighted uh, sections, right? My notes, if you will. So we're going to pivot over to my key points or his key points. My interpretation of what he had written is thus. We did a bad job of raising our people. We did a bad job of educating our people. 
we did a bad job of reinforcing what Christianity has always taught. And as a result, we have watched the decay of Christian Western culture. The most obvious things that you can see of this are the youth that are uneducated, that they don't understand the basic tenets of life, that there are no husbands or fathers in the home as a vast majority like they once were. Now, he doesn't point a finger at any one thing that has caused this or accelerated this. I think that would be a fault in this book. I think um, it would have been more interesting to look at some of the government actions that didn't introduce the phenomena, but turbocharged it, right? Accelerated the means of which it came about. When you reward people for bad behavior, you get more of it. This is a, a basic tenet of life. When you reward people for behavior, they tend to do more of it. So when you reward them for bad behavior, of course you're going to see more bad behavior. When you refuse to have a consequence for said bad behavior, again, you're going to get more of it. You need not look any further than Congress. I mean, it's really easy to point fingers and say, well, you know, the lower socioeconomic groups or, well, that racial group or that racial group has this issue or that issue. That may all be true, but it's largely irrelevant and the distinctions have gone away because of our own bad behavior, because we didn't reinforce good behavior, because we sought to not punish bad behavior, but reward bad behavior. Now, Mr. Dreyer posits that we have to start our own parallel culture, our own parallel existence, if you will. We have to separate ourselves off from the mainstream culture as it is. I've highlighted this. I myself tend to agree with some of that, and I've put forth similar ideas, and I think it's very valid. I, for one, would love to take part in starting a classical Christian school. I, want, I, for one, would love to see the lack of need for government schools. I would love to see them, honestly, whittle down to where they cater to a minority of people that cannot or will not take care of their own children. Not that I think that's appropriate for the state to step in and do that, but that is the world we live in, and that is what will happen. I would much rather the local churches start their own schools. I would much rather that local um, entities start their own schools, that they would look after the children in their own community without dumping them off into the sterile government school system. And while you might perceive this as an attack on teachers or Whatever else it is not. I have a great uh, respect for the vast majority of teachers out there. That is a challenging job. It is not without uh, difficulties. Uh, there are several areas in our state or even our country where, quite frankly, they are mistreated and underpaid. But that really isn't the case in most of Texas. There certainly isn't the case in where I live. So anybody that critiques or questions the methodology behind the teaching is not attacking the teachers. They're attacking the policies and the procedures. When you look after the administrative uh, network that runs the school districts, 
While the growth of students might be in the single digits and the growth of teachers might also be in the single digits, the growth of administrative and the authorities is at nearly 10 times the rate. And I don't see how, one, that's going to give you a successful school district, or two, that's going to, quite frankly, make anything better. Now, it's always tied to money, and money manipulates people. So, yes, private schools. Reforming our own churches. Boy, I mean, again, I've talked about this time and time again. And again, this is, this is a key point that I think he gets at is the churches are anemic. The churches don't go and spend time with the the parishioners or their members at all. They don't teach them the church history. They don't teach them the understanding of why this theology is in place. They don't teach why these things are important. They give you platitudes. They give you a little 20 or 30 minute sermon, pat you on your head, tell you have a cup of coffee and say hi to your neighbor on your way out the door. That does not give you a deep and fulfilling faith and understanding of your belief system. It leaves you vulnerable to be prey when you send your children off to college or even when they're in high school. Indeed, we have problems today that nobody would have been considering as few as 10 or 15 years ago in the general public. So... My key, uh, my takeaway, right? I've kind of ran over some of the key points. My takeaway is, yes, there's something to be said for a parallel system. There's something to be said for being independent and anti-fragile. And we've talked about these issues time and time again. And this is, again, not unique to Mr. Rod Dreher. This is not unique to Christian culture. This is not unique to history. But the sad thing is, is, There's an entire couple of generations of people in this country that don't understand any of these precepts or any of these principles of how you function and how you continue to be a successful society, how you build for the future. They have squandered it for the here and the now. Now, it's quite popular among my generation, uh, Generation X, for those of you that are curious, to blame the boomers. And to be sure, there is a lot of blame to be put upon the boomers. But they didn't come to this on their own. They didn't decide that this was, you know, something new and unique. They were helped. Whether it was the silent or the greatest generation that coddled them and tolerated them. They, their mantra for a decade was, you know, don't charge any or don't trust anybody over the age of 30. Yet every one of those boomers is well over 30 and they, revel in the idea that they're spending their children's inheritance. They're the least bit concerned about their grandchildren. They want to hold on to the, the reins of power as much as they possibly can and for as long as possible so their grand ride will never end. And before you say, Namblat, for those of you that don't know, not all boomers are like that. Yes, that is true, but we're talking about a cultural phenomenon That is easily observable. And if you happen to be related to or know or spend time with one of those boomers that don't align with that philosophy, that aren't living like that, great. Cherish that time with them. Spend that time with them. They are 
likely to be the anchor of whatever future society we can bring about, whatever future remnant that sticks around. And quite frankly, they have the wealth, they have the money, they have the time. A good number of them are fully retired or partially retired. They could be choosing to reinvest. And the good ones out there need to be encouraged. They need to be protected. They need to be rewarded for being willing to invest in the future. I think I've covered everything I wanted to do about this uh, book. Um, I would say it's a worthwhile read. It's not terribly long. Uh, I think I read it in about a week for, you know, half hour at a time, maybe. Um, like I said, it's, 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 uh, repetitive. It goes over a lot of the same material, much like I do in my podcast, because you never know that the person reading is going to remember it. And in my podcast, I never know if they've listened to yesterday's episode, much less last month's episode. So when you're trying to get your opinion or your thought or your point across, you have to be willing to go back to it time and time again. It helps people remember, and it also is convincing. So now the epilogue. I struggle with this because I don't want to slam on the guy. I don't know his personal life. I, I don't know his personal business. And quite frankly, when you're on the outside looking in, you got to be really cautious before you condemn somebody else. You've, you've, you got to ask questions, right? It's fair to ask questions, but to immediately condemn them is just not a good policy. It's my understanding in, uh, I guess the first quarter of this year, I don't remember if it was March or May. It's largely irrelevant. Mr. Dreyer and his wife decided to go their separate ways. He has three children. I, I don't believe they're grown yet. And, uh, don't know what the motivations were, but from what I've seen, what I've heard, he and his wife just gave up. They threw in the towel and he wasn't willing to, I guess, put in the work any longer. And I find it really challenging to me personally to take any advice from somebody that was willing to walk away from their marriage. I find it really challenging to consider them to be worthy of dispensing information or advice when clearly they didn't follow their own advice. That being said, even the broken clock is wrong twice a day. And I feel confident that almost all the material in this book is worthy of your time and your efforts. But I, I'm disappointed in Mr. Dreyer. I'm disappointed that this is what his life has come to. This is nothing new. We see our People built up and crashed down all the time. The, the whole idea that we would put our faith in men is a mistake. And I've always uh, told people <laughs> to be very cautious about who you trust and who you invest in. For this reason, people are going to let you down. People are going to make mistakes. People are going to fail. I myself have been knocked down a time or two, and it's not. The knocking down, that's the problem. It's what you do when you get back up. It's how you react to the adversary. It's how you respond to problems. Unfortunately, I don't think Mr. Dreyer has proved to be a good example in this area based upon what little direct knowledge I have on it. But just looking at the 
message and the behavior. It's not inspiring at all. So that being said, I, I had intended on reading uh, his next book, uh, and I might still do that, but I don't think I'm going to do a review on it. I don't think it would be doing anybody any good. That being said, I am enjoying uh, two books at the same time right now. Uh, one of them is called uh, Gentleman Farmers. Uh, it's, I guess, speculative uh, fiction. It's uh, enjoyable and relaxing. The other book I'm finishing is Federalism which I've already done a couple of episodes that I referenced sections out of federalism. I'm going to finish reading it now. I will tell you that you can't ignore social media. You can't ignore the world that goes on around you. You just can't base your life on it. And as much as I spend my hour or whatever every day, making sure my posts get out or responding to pertinent information. Social media does not determine how I live my life. And I would encourage you to do the same. I can't tell you the last time I've watched television for anything other than mindless entertainment. Certainly don't get my news there. Certainly don't get any opinions there. Uh, I mean, if I want that, I'll go watch YouTube. It's usually shorter, faster, and generally more entertaining. Uh, the two doctor shows my wife and I were watching have been so woefully woke that they've become almost impossible to watch. And quite frankly, it's disappointing because at least one of them was quite good. The other one was at least decent. But when you feel like you have to preach at me in every single episode and beat me over the head, I'm sorry. I just don't have time for that. Sadly, even the cop show that my wife and I have been watching she kind of gave up on it, and I, boy, I'm hanging like by a thread. And I really like the main actor in the show, and sometimes it's quite good still, but it's clearly hit or miss. You can't depend on the people in Hollywood to defend your culture. You can't depend on the people in Hollywood to not subvert everything that you know and believe. So, no great loss there. As for music, oh, there's tons of trash. I mean, I, I find myself... Going back to the 80s to listen to stuff that's enjoyable. And when I'm particularly uh, longing for the familiar, I go dip into the 50s and 60s music, which I guess technically isn't even boomer music. But I got to say, even classical music, I mean, is enjoyable, but there's just nothing out there right now that is beneficial that I can see. I mean, prove me wrong. If you know of something, I'm very interested in knowing about it, but I just don't see it. Our modern culture has become so degenerate that they celebrate <laughs> degeneracy and um, things that people would have at the very least raised their eyebrow over as little as five years ago. And, and I don't have time for that. I, I don't want that shoved in my face and chucked down my throat. I mean, we've heard for a couple of decades now, well, you can be a Christian at home. You can leave that at home. We don't need to hear about it in the public spaces. And we don't want you shoving your Christianity down our throat. Okay. Foolishly, many Christians have gone along with that logic. And we've kind of backed off. And we've left people be people. And had it stayed that way, had the other side been content with it, they don't have to deal with, quote unquote, us shoving it down their in their faces, Maybe we could have had peace, but instead they've taken the initiative to go the other way and they shove it in our faces and they abuse us mentally, spiritually, and psychologically every day. 
but we're the bad people. We're the ones that are called names. We're the ones that are, you know, ostracized by our communities. And even when you go to church looking to be reinforced and get good teaching and whatever else, sadly, the vast majority of the American churches don't seem to be interested in doing any of that. You may have heard me talk about the lack of salt and lack of light. Is it any wonder that we send our children off as they become young adults to go to schools and they come back warped and barely a vestige of our culture and our families left in them? It's hard. It's hard to put that time and effort in your children and watch it all unfurled in four years or two years or six years or whatever you do to them. Perhaps there is a different way forward. Perhaps there's an opportunity to start some more independent Christian colleges. I don't know, but it takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of effort. And quite frankly, if we don't have people that are willing to do that, we're never going to be successful. Well, folks, uh, I know that was a bit of a down. But that's where the book takes you. It it leads you to the idea that, yes, we can do this, but it's going to require a whole lot of work. Well, wait, I've said that many, many times. The defense of liberty is eternal vigilance. Oh, yeah, wait. Oh, so in any case, there's nothing new there because, quite frankly, there's nothing new under the sun or so said Solomon. With that, folks. This has been According to Callus, and if you thought this was worth your time, the least bit interesting, educational, informative, entertaining, please do me a favor. Do you a favor. Like, share, subscribe, comment, put this out on your social media. Again, this is According to Callus, and I will see you on the other side.